You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, and this week we're a little late, but that's better late than never, with our Goldilocks-style set review of Lost Caverns of Ixalan. What do we think is overhyped, what do we think is underhyped, and what do we think is just right? So, with that, let's get it started. So, for overhyped, I was looking at two cards. The first one was Trumpeting Carnosaur, and uh, for those that don't know, this basically highlighted the discover mechanic it was one of the flag post or flagpole rares with discover and it hit a spike picked up the ten dollars i said there's no way this is going to hold it's going to come back down to reality and at the end of the day that is basically what happened with this card uh, people were expecting it to see immediate results in older formats that weren't pioneer namely modern and legacy and while it is, or it did do some stuff in a Mississippi River style shell in Legacy, that deck basically flamed out and it just burned out. And so the update with Carnosaur did the same. Now, when this card came, when it comes to Pioneer, this card was all over the place. That $10 spike could have held if Geological Appraiser was not banned shortly after we recorded and released that episode. And that has done a lot to kind of suppress the utility of this card all over. That said, it is seeing play in standard in a Rakdos mid-range kind of deck. And let's see, I don't think this is being played in modern anywhere else. Yeah, cool. Um, it's still in Pioneer. The Quintorius combo, whatever you want to call it, is still there, but it's not nearly as good. Now, the other overhyped card I was looking at was Tishana's Tidebinder. And this is a card that I basically said, there's no way we would see this in older formats. It costs three. <laughs> it competes with Hull Breacher in Legacy. It's not going to pick up there. Uh, loathe to anyone who wants to try this in Vintage. This is probably just going to be a standard player overall. I really didn't touch on Modern in the conversation because this dies to everything. And I noted Fury, and then Fury was also banned. Uh, in the same announcement as Geological Appraiser, which has kind of let Tishana's Tidebinder run roughshod over Modern in the Teamer, Crash Skate, and I believe the five-color Rhino lists. And as such, this card has basically maintained a price tag, but it is about 40% under what it was. So for both of these, I think I kind of hit on them, despite the fact that I got a little bit of an oomph from the the bannings i wasn't looking at cardasaur in pioneer and i wasn't really considering tide binder in any other format besides standard and it really did take the removal of one of the predators of creature decks in modern to kind of like let let tide binder shine but that 40 percent reduction in price i'll take as a uh, a hit so to speak yeah yeah, I, I remember we both thought Tishana's was a little high, and it turned out it was almost the Eternal Weekend bump. Yep. Kept its price up was really what it was, because modern. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, happened right after the Fury banning, so of course that price maintained. So, not surprised there. Definitely spot on on both. Uh, 
Uh, I picked those really tacky, gaudy caverns of souls. Mm-hmm. I, look, man, there's still too much money. I'm sorry. I don't care how rare they are, how hard they are to hit. This card is like... Who is putting this in a 60-card format deck? Who is collecting four of these? Nobody foils decks out anymore. Not not like this. You have an Ultimate Masters box topper that you can have that's just infinitely superior. Yeah. Heck, the Double Masters 2 one, the Zendikar Rising Expedition, there's that sick Lord of the Rings one now. I mean, there are so many different versions of this card that should be worth that this should be worth less money than it is. And it has gone down. The green used to be like $300. It's down to 129 now. Doesn't matter. It is still way too much money for a card that is in collector boosters, set boosters, in a collector booster era print run set, which I'll touch on later. Uh, it should not be this much money. It just shouldn't. Nope. There are better versions of the card that look cooler, that have a better aesthetic. Like, it, it's wild. I don't understand how. It boggles my mind. I feel like one of the things that's floating these is that LCI was not a set people were really inclined to play a lot of in draft. It wasn't overshadowed yeah. by uh, Wilds of Aldrain or where are, where do we know? Uh, murders? Ravnica? Area yeah, murders, right? yeah. Um, but we did, yeah, we ran square into Ravnica Remastered coming out of LCI, but I just think this was like another kind of medium draft set that people just weren't really looking to engage with. So yeah. people weren't out there drafting they weren't at stores they weren't receiving prize packs they weren't like super interested in buying anything ancillary for this set because it was all just kind of like meh you know um if you're not banking store credit off drafts for product uh, you're not going to see a lot of opening or additional opening when the product isn't great when there's not a lot of hits in this set overall you're not going to see a lot of collector boosters get cracks so you're not going to see a lot of that chase stuff and then when again the set is kind of medium at best Set boosters aren't going to get opened, so you're not going to see, you know, these come out of uh, the slots there. So all, all over, I think it's just a, a, a scarcity thing on this. To your end, um, if you're going to foil out a creature deck, generally speaking, the people that do it are either going to be goblins players or merfolk players. You're not really foiling out standard decks. That's kind of a fool's errand. Yeah. And at the moment, nobody's really playing those two decks. Humans could be a foil deck if they're still diehards for that tribe or that type. But at the end of the day, that kin, whatever it is, um, you know, we're not really looking at, like you said, people looking to pick up four of these to foil out. So why? why? Yeah. What, what's your point? Like, why, why, why is, what is the point to this price? Doesn't matter. Nope. Uh, my next card was Sahili Sun's Brilliance. And I think this one was just a pure <sighs> miss overall. Um, so I said I would see this as a card in the 99, not a not a commander, and we're kind of see that's exactly where it is. As a commander, it's in 630 decks. As a card, it's in 3,200, um, and it's just not really doing what we expected it to. So it is well below expectations, though there is something to be said about the fact that this is the sixth most popular commander from LCI from within the set itself. I still consider it a miss because this did not kind of take over in the shells I would expect it to, but it seems like people have stopped wanting to build the Brutoclad style of deck where people, you just want to make a bunch of artifact copy tokens and move away into other things, and that's fine. It's just a lesson to learn. Yeah. It's not just... It is a problem with Sahili because this is something Sahili does. It makes tokens, 
But at this point in time, since people are stepping away from that ideal overall within Commander, finally, then I can pull back on and change my view of Sikili and these effects that specifically make copies of artifacts or artifact token copies of something. So, uh, miss and a lesson learned. Yeah, I uh, this this was when I was honestly kind of surprised too because the is it artificer archetype is something that like locally a lot of people love, um, and typically our casual players tend to be more in tune with the casuals that watch like saffron olive for deck techs and stuff like that. So yeah. the ones that like basically drive the market, uh, not seeing this adopted as quickly or in as many of those shells as I expected is yeah lesson to learn shocking yeah frankly not what I, I would expect at all i guess the one the one standout here to all of this is that brea ethereum shaper like the one of the four color commanders from that series with atroxa i think was like the second most popular commander from that set behind atraxa atroxa and sure it was leagues apart um but this is this was yeah. a combo general this is what people played it was like the most competitive deck from that cycle and nobody's really doing this anymore it's fallen out. So it's just the theme. You know, people are kind of yeah. moved on from this, and it uh, it is a bummer. Now, for you, your underhyped card was another Dracosaur of sorts. Yes, Bonehorde Dracosaur. Uh, this card, when I said it was underhyped, was in the 5 to $6 range, and it's now sitting at 10 uh, Or, sorry, $9 with a dollar shipping, so $10. Uh, I think this card is great. I still think it might be underhyped. It's a mythic from, as you said, a set that wasn't really widely opened. And frankly, the chase card isn't good enough, in my opinion, for people to go back and open it in mass down the line. But five mana, five, five, flying first strike, we're already above rate. Like, we're great. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two. You can play them. If you get a land, make a ball lightning token. Yeah. That's insane. Like, that's really good. Um, it, it's just it's incredibly above rate now the thing that is really shocking to me is on EDH rec it is in 4% of the decks or 16,199 now when I talked about it I said it could maybe see play in modern which it has not yet uh, but that I expected it to be a card that exists in 100 card formats and sure enough this adoption while not major at all it's only 4% for how quickly it reached 4% after the set released when we had Ravnica Remastered and a bunch of other things distracting us from the set release in general is kind of shocking yeah. and in a good way that it was adopted that quickly because this card does everything Red wants to do. It's great. It draws you extra cards. It gives you tempo. It gives you reach. It's just Red Incarnate. And I, I still think it may hit that $15 mark if we continue to not see Lost Caverns get opened. Yep. Uh, I like Dracosaur. I thought it was overhyped at the beginning because people were looking at this for Constructed, but it, with only flying in First Strike, I thought it was, for five, I thought it was a little weak, and having yep. to live into your upkeep, it seemed a little dangerous with Leyline Binding floating around. Like, this just, you, you pay yeah. five, they pay one, and that, that's just incredible. You know, mana advantage, or you pay five and then they tef three. It, you know, like or or Jace bounce it. Right, there's a lot that could go wrong with this in construct in older constructed formats, and seeing it break into commander was not something I expected, especially to see how high it is in the list from LCI overall. When you're just looking at the LCI cards, yeah. Um, for me, my last card was the notable Skullspore Nexus. 
And uh, at the time, it was the third most popular card in the set, according to Rec. Uh, and I thought it would maintain its position there. And it hasn't. It's dropped a little bit. Uh, there's this format ish, uh, issue on Rec, but it is actually the one, two, three, four, the fifth most popular card um, from the set. And I still believe that this is correct. I think the top five is perfectly fine for this card. I mentioned it's not the Great Henge, and you know what? It's not the Great Henge. It'll never be the Great Henge. And yeah. the one thing I had, I thought this card would have going for it compared to the other cards at the top of the list at the time in LCI was that this is a little more agnostic than the other cards. It didn't tell you what to do. You could just do things, and this card would be good in those decks, and it has since been overtaken by, uh, like, Kutzel, Malamet Exemplar, Galtaste, P-Tyrant, and Ohertage, Deepest Foundation, which are all very specific cards and do very specific things. But again, maintaining life in the top five cards from this set behind the Roaming Throne and, and the others is great. Um, yeah. This is in 5% of all decks on Rec, which is a, still a really good sign because there's still time for this card to grow and attrition into the format. Yeah. Uh, what I missed on was the price point. I said I would expect this to be probably a $15 card in time, and it's only gone down since my initial uh, look at this. It was a, a little over $10, a hair over that. We've lost about 20%. It's now down to about $8. End of the day, though, I would expect this to still be a slow gainer in time. Will it make the 15 I think that might be kind of out of the question at this point. I think we could settle in around 12, and I'd be happy with that. Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of tokens. It just makes one really big one. So you need a little bit more oomph. You need to populate it. You need to doubling season, et cetera, with this. Then you can actually start to kind of grow it out of control. Uh, but it is so agnostic that adoption into the format still seems like possible. I don't think we've hit a saturation rate within Commander to say, like, this, this is it. We're going to be at 5% forever. I think this is going to pick up over time. And I would consider this, um, in the words of George Carlin, a near hit. God, I love him. Yeah, I I think this card is great. I still think it has a ton of potential. Again, it's a mythic from an under-open set that, as we've seen recently, every set has had one or two mythics that are just like EDH bonkers or standard bonkers, and they have a price. Yeah despite the existence of collector packs. And I think this is more than Cavern of Souls. This should be the card that has that. There you go. And I think it is just a matter of time until adoption hits that point. Also, uh, unrelated to the card's value, this is some of the most evocative art I've seen since Slave of Bolas. And uh, that makes me like the card more. Yeah, it is really cool art. Yeah. And your last card? My last one was Deep Root Pilgrimage, because I said, look, Everything should be a quarter, basically, in an era like this. Uh, well, I was wrong, because this card is, well, kind of. It's still bulk, but it's 50 cents. So we're sitting at, frankly, this is just the reality of Collector Booster era. If you are a rare in a standard set, you are bulk. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where under that bulk line you lie. You're $3 or below or $5 or below, whatever Like most vendors now consider 5 and below bulk. But it's a bulk rare. That's just what it is. It is one half of Miro Rigiri, and it is a bulk rare. Whenever one or more non-token Merfolk you control become tapped, create a 1-1 blue Merfolk creature token with X-proof. Card's not good. It's just not. And especially with the print rate, that's just how it's going to be from now on, and that's the reality. Yeah. Uh, there's actually been some innovation with modern Merfolk. People were actually trying to combo out using this card and, and uh, 
any piece of uh, piece yep. is the wrong word when you're shoving fish in vehicles but it's like <laughs> smuggler's copter or whatever yeah. else you could put fish into what can we do with deep root pilgrimage to try and go really wide and play a fewer number of lords overall because we're just going to stock the board with one yep. ones and you know through that hype and through i don't even know if we hit results but you know some buzz this card just never picked up so i think like you said this is the reality of the situation especially for a type that is a fan favorite but not one that is as popular as something like angels or dragons yeah um what is, it? is it sigil of the empty throne what's the one that poops out a four four angel uh, Sigil of the Empty Throne. Yeah, yeah, like that one has a price always, unless it's currently in print, because it poops out a four-four angel, and that's that is a pretty good. Yep, that is a creature type that everybody enjoys. It seems so. That kind of stuff is going to command a premium, whereas our little fishy friends, not so yep. much. And sadly, good card yeah. overall. I like it as kind of a, a small ball spec because it plays into a part of the merfolk type that we haven't seen since shadow more with wake thresher yeah which pays you to attack with your merfolk wake thresher got bigger whenever you untapped merfolk so you could play yeah. ticky tacky tricks with Reedry to untap merfolk deep root pilgrimage wants to make one one so you can just stack a really tall wake thresher combat after combat after combat like but that's just not good enough anymore to kind of push the theme Lake or, engineer yeah exactly that that card I, I play that card in legacy it just ruins it's like, so good it's so good yeah like and it, it's going to keep stuff like this down yeah well for modern and this commander for, yeah for modern commander ed uh legacy yeah yeah um and that so that was basically it for the the goldilocks era of lci next week we'll be doing the same thing <sighs> but for mkm not magic card market murders at Karlov's manor yeah so Next week, you expect that episode from us. But until then, we have picks to go over. We do, and I'm going to go first this week. Yep. Yes, you are. Uh, what if I were to tell you there is a rare that has been printed four times since the beginning of 2023, and it has a $5 price tag at low? I'm still going to be shocked that it's the card it is and that one of the printings is I forgot about completely. So, Kindred Discovery. Uh, specifically, I'm going for the Commander 2017 one because that has a decent price history on it. Now, this card saw a print in Commander Battle for Baldur's Gate. Yep. This saw a print in Lost Caverns of Ixalan the Commander. Yep. This saw a print as an enchanting tale from Wilds of Eldraine, which I guess is technically two different arts, but one printing. And it's been a list card the entire time. This card is still $5. Now, if you take a look at the price chart on stocks, you can see where we started to creep up again. Uh, back in August, we hit a recent high of 14, 15 bucks. And since then, it's gone down. Well, do you know what happened in August Wilds of Eldraine? So when that hit, all of a sudden, boom, we go down and we have now reached a plateau. Now, this card was in collector boosters and set boosters during this entire time. It is still worth $5. This is something that I think is worth paying attention to, both as a market trend, because we're now going away from set boosters and draft boosters into play boosters, which is going to lead to a drastically different collecting experience, yep. because drafts are handled completely differently than they have been for the 30 years of the game's history. 
So there may be some stuff like this that falls through the cracks from an under-open set like Lost Caverns of Ixalan, where, hey, you know what? It's a rare and standard, so I assume it's dog water, but it's really not. Not only that, this is an EDH card that is a borderline pillar of the format. It is certainly a pillar of the color. If you are in a tribal blue deck, you are running this card. If you are in a tribal deck that has blue, you are running this card. It generates an absurd amount of card advantage, so there is clearly a history for this card to exist in the format, a liquidity for this card to exist in the format. Yep. And I think it's the type of thing that looking at this, seeing where we're at plateau-wise, you can literally go back to when we had our first fall-off after the first reprint in May of 22. It took us about, oh, I'd say a year-ish before we started to see a recovery. Well, this time we hit our peak in August of 23. I don't think we have to wait that long, though, because magic, at least anecdotally at our store, is starting to pick up more. You're starting to see more singles move. Even lower end stuff is starting to move faster than it did before. So I would expect that what we'll realistically see is a little bit of a bump around tax time. Once people start getting their tax returns, we have more disposable income, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd say you're probably looking at about March, April to see some kind of return on this where you can either out it to buy list or in the direct market or a trade miner. Uh, I just think this card is great, and I assumed it was bulk. And when I found out it wasn't, started to do some digging and found out, yes, it's been printed four times. It's not a lack of reprints. It's literally just the card has that much demand, which means a card like this can exist in a set draft and collector booster era. And it worth, it's worth paying attention to see if that can continue into a play booster era okay. as the market changes. Yeah. I like the, I, I like these, these kind of cards. We, we've looked at um, the other Patriarchs bidding, the one from yeah. Kalatam. I can't remember the name of it. We've looked at Patriarchs bidding. We've looked at stuff like this. Whenever we can play into a type and get a benefit and get a benefit for playing that type, I always think it's worthwhile to look at depending on the color scheme, because we have seen things shift a while ago. I forgot if it was, again, if it was IKO. Your pick was the Orzov human. Yes. That I think pumped other humans, yep. which is a great, a great idea, but then they shifted the color scheme of humans, so we kind of got mucked on that one. Yep. And similarly, there were a lot of knight-type cards that you could look at over time and eventually they color shifted knights to mardu and started introducing yeah. azor knights as well which makes things a little weird because that wasn't in the color pie before um so anything that can pay us off for, for playing a type that is in the types colors generally i think it's a great look the only question i have is what happens with kindred discovery in time you were looking at tax time, which is Q2. I'm looking at Bloomborough, which releases in Q3 because that's the, the animal base yeah. set. So the more stuff we get that allows people to play into some of those, uh, I don't even want to call them fan favorite types, but you yeah. get cards like, a, what the heck is it, the Crocolisk or whatever the heck it is, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. From, from Murders. And people are like, oh, we're close to, to Turtle Tribal. And like, yeah, sure, that's the meme. But some people out there are going to be excited about Turtle Tribal. And if we get a bunch more turtles in Bloomborough that, so they can round out the deck, cool. Every time we get a new frog, people are up in arms about like, yep. does it fit into the Sultai Wedge where the majority of the frogs already exist? Why is this frog mono black? 
Why did we get another Yargle when we need um, when we need better frog support? Yes, those people are out there, and I think so. That, that's the only qualm I have is timing on this. <laughs> it's a it's a five dollar card. People can pick it up whenever. If we're going to see a a bunch of push on this, it's probably going to come. I would hope from a set that has a lot of types in it. Yeah. Uh, Thunder Junction. It seems like it's just going to be mainly a, a human based set yet again. Yeah. So we can probably take a bath on that. But Bloom Barrow, which is just nebulously announced as Q3 2024, is where I would start casting my eye at not just Kindred Discovery, but maybe some of the other ones, like Patriarch yep. Spitting, like I said, and some of the agnostic anthems where you choose a type and then go. Yeah. Um, so I like Kindred Discovery overall for the points you brought up. And then I just want to attack on that a little bit at the end. For sure. Now. Uh, for my pick, I am looking at Tribute to the World Tree. Uh, this is a rare from March of the Machine. And when it debuted, it debuted at about uh, yeah, $7, $8 like we see in stocks. And everybody thought this was too much for this card. And it eventually tanked like we see in the Sawtooth graph and then just picked back up because it actually is a decent card. It is an, an enchantment that costs three green. And it says, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, put two plus one plus one counters on it. So we're basically seeing... It is. We're seeing uh, split effects on this. Um, We are seeing basically the elemental bond style of play where we're getting paid off for playing large creatures and then we're getting uh, a buff on our smaller creatures, which is fantastic. Now, when I added this to my list in early October... CK was buying 88 copies at $4.80. There were 338 listings on TCG Player at $8, and CK had eight for sale at $9.50. As of writing my notes, CK was buying 70 at $7.50, so that's like a 40%, or no, sorry, like a 50-ish percent increase on that. They had three for sale at $15, and there were 173 listings left on TCG Player for $13.31. So we can see historically this card has been on the rise. We can see it from stocks too, that this is just a nice slow graph. There is a wicked spike uh, in market value that has returned back to normal, but it just looks like that was people buying high on the day for whatever reason. So for that anomaly, we actually just can use the average instead of market, and we will be perfectly fine when we actually analyze the bar graph here. Or not the bar graph, the line graph. Now, the commander playability on this is basically counter-based synergy, plus one, plus one counters, um, though this really does have to be played in green-heavy decks due to the pip count. Triple green, not too hard to hit, but if you want to make sure you can play this on turn three reliably, you're probably going to be playing a primarily green deck. Like, it could be mono-green, extending to two colors, etc., but still very heavily slanted to green. Now, overall in the format, this card plays exactly like you would expect. It plays with chunky creatures, it plays with tokens, and it plays with a combination of both. There is a fantastic Venn diagram overlap on this. They are not circles, but they are close. When you take a look at Wreck, you do get to see that this card appeals to a fairly wide audience, with the only limiting factor being the ability to produce three pips as early as possible. So again, mainly in one or two color decks, less frequently in three color decks, but we do see it in Teamer and a little bit in Abzan. Now, insofar as how this card plays in Commander, this is really reading the card, explains the card kind of deal. If your creatures aren't, you know, big enough to be threatening, this card fixes that problem. And if they are big enough to be threatening, then you get to draw a card and we start to look at this like an elemental bond with upside, which is basically what I said up top and 
how I think a lot of this is going to be moving forward when we look at rares that do this. You have so many good uncommons already that draw you a card, that like a Team Ascendancy tribute to the World Tree. This is where we're going to be now. We're going to be drawing a card and getting something else with it. It's just the way it has to happen. Otherwise, it's just not good enough to be rare, which is kind of ridiculous to think about. Now, this does make sure that in one sense or another, you're flush with threats either on board because it's making things bigger or in hand. And so it keeps you competitive at any point in the game, which is the kind of stuff I like to look at where it's not just like a, a, a one hit thing. This is either going to end a game or it's going to extend a game. It's going to give you the ability to catch up or keep playing. So this is going to be good at any point in time within a game because it allows you to just keep playing and make threats. Now, this is not a terribly competitive card, but because it does combo with Gave, Guru of Spores, there is a smidge of competitive demand, but we're not really relying on that to move this card. We're reliant on people playing counter synergies and chonky creature strategies to really move this overall. And I'm not going to bring up Wreck for this because you're going to see things like Galta and Maven. Uh, you won't actually see Gave, Guru of Spores, despite the fact that a combo's there. You're going to see like... Fanghorn, the the Tree Shepherd, some Tyvars, Inga and Eska. You're just uh, you're just gonna see uh, stuff that pays for pays off for counters. Uh, there's a little bit of Bright Palm action in here, and then of course um, the Vorinclex that doubles counters. The, Naturally, like, and the, the the smattering of commanders available on EDH track basically tells you everything you know about this card, which is just either you're playing really big chunky creatures and you can afford the pips. Or you're playing counter strategies, so you're already deeply invested in green, and this is just going to continue to like play off of that really well. Yeah. Uh, timeline on this, you know, first and foremost, the market price is actually a lie. There are around 100 copies available below the market after shipping, and averaging about 12 copies a day for Nearman and LP sales. TCG player will sell out within a month to a month and a half if velocity stays the same. Before we make it through the first 70 copies, the price jumps from about $9.50, which is below market, to $12. So again, we have 70 listings to cut through before we actually reach the market price because people just keep loading this below. So again, the market price is a lie, but it only takes 70 listings to bring this card up from $10.30 to $12. Now, this means if we were to buy in now, we would be able to move it at a slight loss to buy a list if we were to drop ship, but we're going to be able to start making money pretty quickly on the turnaround. So uh, give it if we wait a few weeks for this to flip back into the market. Uh, and we'll see about a 30% profit based on velocity, but that's given a few weeks out. You know that, But that's where we're looking for our timeline. We have the ability to make a tidy profit in about a month if we're patient. Again, the longer you wait, the more you'll make. But you don't have to wait forever. This is this can be a very short-term turnaround if you would like it to be. Just a little bit of patience to wait that week or two. Now, CK's buy list numbers are moving in lockstep-ish with the retail price, and we've seen a 30% increase in both in these past three months since my adding to my list and moving it over to my notes, and a bit over 40% in four months. Um, that doesn't, it seems like it adds up to about 10, or not adds up, maths out to about 10% a month, but that's not actually the case. It did do some, um, some big stepping early on, and it's just kind of plateaued out. I don't think this is a, is sustainable, this kind of movement, effectively 10% a month on average. So if we were to buy in now, it would probably be about three to four months out before we see any profits when moving to buy list. So again, weeks back into the open market or months to buy list. And that's kind of been the trend that we've been seeing recently is just buy lists are like really slow to move on this stuff, whereas the open market is a lot faster yeah. and you don't have to 
just a little bit of patience and you'll get there. Um, but if you want the safer out to buy list, it's just going to take a lot longer. The reprint equity on this, because this is tied to the Phyrexian evasion overall, I don't think we'll see this outside of commander products or a supplemental draft set. But with the number of counters based commander decks printed since its release without a reprint, I don't actually think we'll see it for a while. Yeah, this is one that I think, I mean, I, I remember, I believe you picked this actually in our set review as underhyped. Yes. Um, I this, this to me is, I liken it to Yavamaya from MH2. Yavamaya was a card that I was picking up at $5 because to me, like, $5 is too affordable for this card. Like, it had plateaued out. There was no way it was going to stay that price forever. And within one page, it went up to, like, $10 on TCG. And now it's sitting in, like, the 8 to 10 range. But World Tree kind of strikes me as that, like, this is a ubiquitous green X card. Because it's either going to draw me a card or it's going to make my dudes get bigger, which yeah. is something that I want to do if I am playing green in EDH. I want to draw cards. I want to make dudes big. Yes. And that's what the color does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, and you touched on it, is the reprint equity is so low on this card. Because Phyrexia is done. The, they're gone. They're the big bads that we're not going to see for eight more years when Wizards has to rehash something else. And they're like, okay, let's just go back to Phyrexia again. Let's bring them back. But I, I think this pick is great. Yeah. I love it. So, it's incredibly good long term. So I haven't mentioned how many I've bought, but I, you're right. I did pick this card in the in the mom set release uh, or the, the mom review, and I brought up my notes. It was a five dollar card, and I, I I will caveat this with the mono green deck and pioneer played a lot differently at this point in time. Yeah. At now this these are my notes. One sentence. As the next best option behind the Great Henge in both Commander and Pioneer, I believe this is an easy $5 bill and I card I would buy into during the dip. So the dip I'm referring to there is just the hacksaw, or the, sorry, the hacksaw, the, uh, the sawtooth graph we see on yeah. stocks where it's just up and down all the time. And I bought as many of these as I could for $5 when I was uh, vending a pre-release. And it didn't turn out to be that many. It's somewhere, I think, in the neighborhood of like six or eight. Uh, but the reason I say behind the Great Henge in Commander and Pioneer is because of the pips. Yep. The Great Henge is being levied not just for its ability to draw cards and gain life, but also because of the pip count in it. So I was looking at this through the lens of pips for Pioneer, and then it plays a similar game plan to what you were trying to do at the time with the Mono Green deck, which is just make some big creatures and swing, and this both yeah. drew cards. Not, not like it doesn't. It still draws cards and makes big creatures but you're right that that was my note and at the time it was a crisp five dollar bill to buy this card and we have since doubled up from there so love to see it good card is good like what what can we say you know sometimes you just you nail it but uh unless you have anything else for this week again next week will be our murders at karlov manor uh, hype review and until then we are at mtg cabalcast on facebook twitter patreon and youtube if you want to reach us on twitter i am at halt i am reptar you are at damon underscore thurston we'll see you next week see you